I think it'll be just like a cage for them because they just avoid going out as much as possible. Chen Liu is half a world away from her hometown in Hubei province in China, where her parents are in lockdown. You know, it's Chinese New Year season. Everyone would be like and um, gather together, and eat and all sorts of delicious food. And uh, on social media, people would post what kind of food they've got on their family dinner table. Usually, she's back for Chinese New Year, but not this time. She stayed in Auckland, where she's been covering the novel coronavirus for RNZ. This year, everyone is talking about this virus, about how serious it is, about how hospitals are crying for medical supplies. I think it's a New Year, perhaps no one would forget in China. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today Chen Liu tells the detail about what life is like for her parents in lockdown. And on the scientific side, we find out about wild animal diseases that are deadly to humans. The face masks were all sold out. There were queues in front of every pharmacy. The usually crowded shopping malls are entirely different. And the shops are all open, but there's barely any customers. The subway stations, which should be noisy and crowded in the New Year's season, are almost empty. Never once I've ever seen here, this place where my wife's family's from, a complete ghost town. Normally there's so much traffic you can't move. To tell you the truth, it's it's basically martial law is going on here. Like, the government has taken over. It's not a pandemic yet, but the fear is if the containment measures fail, the world could be looking at a virus out of control. I just want to say that uh, don't be complacent. We must treat it extremely seriously. Because if you make a wrong decision in this stage in time, like what has happened in Wuhan, why not Hong Kong or other cities become Wuhan? perfectly possible. It's super crazy. My classmates from like other provinces started checking on me because they know I would go back for Chinese New Year's every year. Um, and this year, when I first told mom and dad that I won't go back for this Chinese New Year's, they were a little bit disappointed. And now they were like super reassured. My mom said, you have made a very wise decision. So now I just, uh, because the whole province is in the lockdown, I just try to um, do a video chat with them every day and uh, try to check on how they are doing. Right, so what does it mean for your parents? Because they are in the province, they're not in Wuhan, but they're in a nearby town where you grew up. What, What does lockdown mean for them? Yeah, my hometown is Jinmen, Jinshan, uh, it's like two hours drive from Wuhan province. And, uh, you know, Chinese people, most of them live in apartments. And they don't have a garden. They don't have an outdoor area they, that they can just run around, walk around. So I think it'll be just like a cage for them because they just avoid going out as much as possible. And uh, mom have been just watching TV show, shows, cleaning, and uh, dad probably play some Chinese chess online, and um, all our family gatherings were cancelled. But luckily, they have stockpiled lots of food because it's the Chinese New Year season, so they have vegetables and meat and all that. Um, but my mom said um, just a couple of days ago, she really needs some toothpaste. And uh, so she chose 
to go out at um, night, but she just tried to avoid normal peak hours, and she stayed outside after everyone else is gone, and she went into the shop, and she told me she had put two layers of face masks on her and also wearing gloves, and when she was talking to shop staff, mm. and the staff would maintain a distance with her as well and when they are handling her staff they would be very careful avoiding any like direct physical contact yeah that's the that's the mood in my hometown and are your parents going to work uh yeah mom were worried about oh will we start work um during this period of time because she get colleagues from wuhan as well the epicenter and uh, now, just news came out this morning, the Chinese New Year's holiday will go on for another two weeks until February 13th. So the holiday will be prolonged. Extended. Extended. And so forward. that people don't go back to work. No. So does that mean that your parents stay at home? Yes. And they're not working? What would your parents normally be doing that they're not doing now? My dad has retired, and he has the hobby of playing saxophone. So he would normally go to the parks and meet with his friends, and they just practicing saxophones together. And my mom would um, go to the parks as well and meet up with her friends and do some square dancing and also just follow those group gymnastics. In Wuhan, the streets eerily empty, the normally busy train station deserted, the city locked down, isolated and on edge. Wuhan is like a super transportation hub. The Yangtze River runs through it. Also, it's quite famous for a tower, which is called Huanghe Lou. If I translate it, it would be Yellow Crane Tower. A famous Chinese poet has written a poem on it and got passed on for the 1,700 years. And it's famous for that. It's like a tourist a spot for China. And uh, also, uh, back a few years ago, New York Times actually had a feature story on snacks you can find in Wuhan and how cheap and tasty they are. Hmm. Wuhan also is regarded as which means it's a thoroughfare that you can get to all the other places. And every time I went there, whether it's just a full transfer or visiting friends, it is, it's a bustling city. It's always crowded, noisy. People are enjoying their lives. A bustling city with a population of 11 million that now sounds like this. Behind the police tape, this normally crowded market in the central China city of Wuhan sits eerily desolate. This is ground zero for the illness sparking global unease. So this is where authorities believe the source of the coronavirus is. It's the wildlife and seafood market. And you can perhaps see over there, it's cordoned off. You've got police at all the corners. It is so sensitive that within minutes of us arriving and recording, security asked us to stop filming. I've never been to one in Wuhan, but I've been to those markets in my hometown, in Jinshan. It's, it's not like supermarket where everything is shelved and you can just pick and choose. It's, it's just very crowded. I believe you must have seen posts on social media about they are selling all sorts of um, 
strange animals. Only a block away from one of Wuhan's major train stations, the market reportedly sold a range of animal meat, including peacocks, koalas, Chinese giant salamanders, mast palm civets, and bamboo rats. The food markets that you've been to, would you see them selling those kind of live animals? Yes. But not all sorts, as has been suggested by that social media, that they're selling at this Huanan um, seafood market. Um, in my hometown, I just avoid going to the markets with my mom sometimes because I don't like it. You, you can see chickens, of course, they are more normal, but you can also see perhaps snakes and, and sheep, and people would just kill it on the street and just showcasing how to kill an animal and then take it back home with the meat. I just think it's too cruel. There's a suggestion that it came from bats. Yes. You can eat um, bats raw after peeling the skin off and they were made into soup. Mm. Have you ever had bat soup? No, I wouldn't want to. Uh, That's just gross, I think. It's not common in China at all. It's called novel coronavirus because it's so new and under the microscope it looks like a crown. But what exactly happened at this market in Wuhan, the ground zero of the virus? The exact details are not known, but the the presumption is that a human who was susceptible to that infection had a chance meeting with an animal that was infected. The, the problem is we don't know which animal. David Heyman is a vet at Massey University. He's a specialist in zoonotic diseases that spread between animals and humans, like novel coronavirus, SARS and Ebola. It's a wet market. There's lots of different species in there. Um, I don't believe we still know the first case. The virus is definitely very closely related to bat viruses. So if you look at the genome of the virus, it actually shares about 96% with another bat virus that has been found in the region. And so would it have been a live animal that would have had this this virus? So that's the presumption, yes. It's not always the case for the different viruses. So, for example, things like Ebola virus um, in West Africa have been transmitted by dead animals. People have found dead carcasses and eaten it. Um, And and that does happen for other infections. But here in China with these coronaviruses, the thought is that it's a live animal in a live animal market. But who the first person was that was infected and how they got infected, you know, whether they were handling it, whether they were, uh, the contact was with the feces, the cage, the actual animal, whether they were preparing the animals is not entirely clear. So it's usually the butchering, the processing. In this case, with this virus, my understanding is um, actually they found that there were lots of fragments of the virus's RNA, the genome, in the market, so, or at least in some locations. So it looks like there might have been some animal shedding virus at that location. So the actual direct mechanism that where it went from one animal to a human isn't known. When you say they found fragments of this virus, is that what you said, fragments? Yeah, What yeah. does that mean? Where would they have found it? Yeah, so that's quite careful language, and that's because um, a lot of what we do with uh, viruses in these um, situations is we 
we use molecular detection techniques. So we're looking for bits of either DNA or RNA. So you swab things. And, and it's not like the whole virus. So people will go around, take samples, and then take it back in the lab and little, look for little fragments of genome. And it's much quicker and also safer um, to do than to try to isolate the whole um, virus, if you see what I mean. No. No, <laughs> what that's fine. So, so there's a little difference. So it, um, there's a slight difference. So if we take those swabs and we run them in the lab, we can do that in a safe way. But if we start to what we call isolate viruses, um, what you do is you try to grow them. You try to cultivate them in cells, so either in human cells or bat cells or, or whatever cell line it is that you think they'll grow in. And in that case what you're doing is you're actually growing the virus. So that has some increased risks from a laboratory perspective. So in the other scenario where we're just looking for little fragments of DNA or RNA, you're not growing masses of the virus that might infect you. You're just, you're just finding little targets of the gene and you're trying to um, amplify that in a lab so that you can actually detect it and find out what what it is um so it's like, it's like taking a word from a whole chapter you know you're just looking a little a word you haven't got the whole story yeah but it's it's not dangerous we then compare them to other genomes of other related coronaviruses for example um and you basically make a family tree um for this coronavirus which is a beta coronavirus it's closely related to sars coronavirus but we know as a, as a whole, those what we call beta coronaviruses, that family, um, have their ancestry in bats. Right? Mm. Because you can find lots and lots of different beta coronaviruses in bats around the world. So when they went and got those swabs from the market, where would they have taken them? Would it have been to a local laboratory where they did the testing? Yes. Yes, so it was in, I, I believe it's a laboratory in, in Wuhan, in the city itself. But they only did that in retrospect. They only did that after they had the epidemiological data, the actual you know, case data, and they asked people where they'd been, and they followed it, and they traced it back to that market. So was, they, they used um, traditional epidemiological teams where you ask people where they got sick, who they've had contact with, etc., what they've eaten, what they've done, to go back and identify that as a possible risk location, the epicenter of the um, outbreak. So that's what they did, and then they went back and swabbed, and that's when they found evidence of the um, virus. But I don't believe that they found an animal that has the same virus that was in that market. What is it in bats that make them produce these viruses that are so harmful to humans? So there are lots of possible answers to that. They have evolved millennia ago. They're like an ancient lineage of mammals, and they're, they're very diverse. They've adapted quite differently to other mammals. And the hypothesis is that bats respond differently to viral infections. Um, and again, it's kind of nuanced in that, but there's things that are kind of turned on and turned off. And if I go back to two of those things, one is flight, and one is the immune system being turned on. So one of the thoughts is that because bats fly, their core body temperature each day can go up to 40, 41 degrees. So that's effectively what we do when we've got a fever. <laughs> so if you then take a virus that has evolved and adapted to living bats, when you have a fever, which is what humans do, is part of our fever response is to suppress virus and, and stop it replicating. 
if that virus came from a bat, then the thought is that actually, um, well, it doesn't mind that. It will continue to grow. And so that is one of the thoughts why, for example, when we get infect, humans get infected with bat viruses, they may suffer serious diseases because our, our normal defences, like fever, in the short term, don't stop the virus replicating. And there's some other things as well that they seem to do, such as there's a, almost like a background level of one of some of the things that we produce in response to viral infections that they seem to be producing all the time. Um, so again, when the virus goes into that environment in us, we, all our normal mechanisms kick in, uh, but the virus thinks, oh, actually, that's not bad. I've seen this every day for, you know, generations. There's also a suggestion that this virus has been linked to snakes. Is it, yes. is it wild animals in particular? Bats and also some rodents, they are thought to have a very, they're very diverse themselves. They're thought to have a diverse array of viruses there around the world. MERS. MERS is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, yeah, which is a coronavirus. The thought with MERS is that it went from bats to camels. It's now a camel disease and it seems to be spread from camels to people. Sorry, with MERS, there's very little human-to-human transmission. With SARS, there was human-to-human transmission, a bit like this virus, but it seemed to go through civets. So it went from bats to civets in these wet markets. They're wild, I was going to say a mink-like animal, but they're quite colourful, spotted. So it went from, from bats in these markets to civets in the markets to people. Going back to the, then the general wildlife question, we know that basically every species on Earth has... A suite of infections, and what we're still not good at as a scientific community is understanding um, why specific viruses go from wildlife, for example, to maybe domestic animals or to um, other people. For example, if we take coronaviruses, which we've been talking about, coronaviruses are ubiquitous. They are everywhere. Um, in fact, there's even, they found parts of a coronavirus in, uh, I think, Mr. Cena bats in New Zealand. So more or less any bat populations you look at around the world, you're likely to find coronaviruses. But the question is, then, why do you then see the emergence of some of these in specific areas? And, and it's not clear. It's similar, um, we see the same with filoviruses, of which Ebola virus is one. Actually, there seem to be filoviruses, which is this group in bats in Spain, bats in Singapore, bats throughout Asia. And yet there's never been a known outbreak. So the question is, is it because those viruses are fundamentally different and then they, they're not, if you like, pre-adapted or they don't have the adaptation to be able to go from one species to the other as well? Or is it that you need those circumstances? For example, you need picking, people picking up dead gorillas that have been infected or you need in this case in China, you know, people do have direct contact with infected animals in, in a wet market. So should we be staying away from wild animals altogether? And I'm thinking in New Zealand, well, things like bats. Or is it these markets are a real problem and they should just be banned? Again, there's lots in that. Um, Jim, you want to keep your distance from wild animals for many reasons. Um, I mean, if you look at New Zealand with the wildlife, one of the biggest problems is that, is that there's, the bat population has declined and their, their habitat has been fragmented. And so, you know, how many New Zealanders have actually even seen a New Zealand bat? Mm. You know, we need these species. These species do enormous ecological good. 
for me, the thing is catching, butchering wildlife is potentially a risky thing to do. Just can I pick up on that around banning the live meat market? Yeah. China banned the live meat markets after the SARS outbreak, and then they all came back. I think it's really important when we're thinking about these to think, you know, where do people get their food from? And just to be mindful how we view other cultures and what other people eat and do. Because in New Zealand, they go foraging for food or whatever. You know, you have to get people on your side, potentially, though China is one place that maybe can just put in bans and think what are, what are the other um, impacts on that. But on the whole, avoiding butchering wildlife is good for conservation of species and also human health. You've been looking at these zoonotic diseases for quite a while. Yep. So this won't be the end of it. This won't be the last one like this that we see. No, no. I mean, the things that happened that led to the emergence of this virus in China are happening all around the world every day. The difficulty about predicting when and where they happen in, though, is that you know, these are also based on chance events. It's all those little aligning of chance events that lead to this happening. So there may have been people having contact with, for example, bats every day, um, and bats infected with coronaviruses. But it just so happened, and in fact there may have been many people that have been infected with a coronavirus from a bat, and then they've never gone on to transmit it to another person. That's the detail today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Chen Liu and David Heyman. Mā te wā. 